Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything because that will make me cry. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. Today we are going to do a synergy session. If you're not familiar with a synergy session, this is where we will open a pack of Magic the Gathering cards and use those cards to create an outline of an adventure that we could run in a Dungeons and Dragons or other roleplay game system. Uh, today my guest is Chris, who is the Game Master for the Redemption podcast. Chris, say hello to everybody. Hello everybody. Fantastic. Now you and I have never done a synergy before, but are you familiar with how they work? Uh, yep. I've listened to several of them. Fantastic. Uh, so today I've actually, I went out and bought some 2015 core set packs. Uh, some of the last few of these we've done have been the newer packs and they, they kind of come with a theme built in and I kind of felt like okay. that might be sort of influencing the, uh, the types of adventures that we might be coming up with. So I kind of thought like a core generic set might in some ways work better. We're going to find out. So uh, I will go ahead and open the pack. Great radio right there. Uh, and again, for those of you playing it alone at home, uh, or playing, al- playing along at home, we're yeah, going to go... Hopefully th- you're not alone. <laughs> well, you could be like in your car, but maybe you're not at home, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go through the cards in the same direction you would if you cracked a pack at your local game store. So our commons will be first, then our uncommons, then our rare, and then you know uh, our land, maybe a token, uh, a hologram card if we have one of those or whatever. Um we don't necessarily have to create the adventure linearly, but it seems like that works sometimes just because the first cards kind of start the process. Uh, and there's no there's nothing that says we have to use all of the cards. If we decide one just doesn't work for what we're doing, we, have, we can throw it out. Um, or we might come back to it later if something else happens. So, all right. So I will start here. Our first card is Inferno Fist. Inferno Fist. Yeah, that's an interesting picture. Sort of looks like the combination of Johnny Storm and uh, Mr. Fantastic. Big stretchy fire fist. Yep. Okay, so the Inferno Fist is a red enchantment card. Um, the artwork shows what looks like a female uh, warrior sorcerer type uh, down in some sort of pit. It looks like it might be like a cave structure. There's like some water dripping or water falling behind. Uh, and uh, the the figure is shooting out what looks to be a, a giant fist of flame. So the title is pretty evocative of the art. Uh, again, it kind of looks like uh, perf- uh, Mr. Fantastic and Johnny Storm, the Human Torch combined. It's a big, stretchy fire fist. Uh, the text on the card is Enchant Creature You Control. Enchanted Creature gets plus two plus zero. Uh, you can also sacrifice this card to do damage. And the flavor text is I have never been above throwing the first punch. 
So the the first thing that comes to me is it almost feels like um, this is like a gladiatorial situation. I don't know why, because you know they're down what looks like a natural cavern, but but because they're down in this sort of pit area, I just I see like people watching and people spectating. So uh, my first thought is that they're whatever city or whatever place we're creating might have uh, gladiatorial combats between what we would think of as adventurers. What about you, Chris? What are you seeing with this card? Uh, for some reason, monk jumps out in my head. Some sort of elemental monk with a fist, uh, like a fire fist coming out type thing. I almost feel like this is a hero fighting a monster in a cave by that picture. Otherwise, yeah, your gladiator thing doesn't work or works pretty well too. I like that too. The idea of people all around in the cave looking down, uh, probably cheering a little bit. Maybe the waterfall, there's a nice big pool back there that you can knock your opponent into. Yeah. A little obstacle. So, you know, it could be a little bit of both. Maybe maybe it's not gladiatorial in terms of, like, entertainment. Maybe this is, like, a test, a uh, trial mm-hmm. of some sort, and this monk is, this is, like, an exam. So they're fighting, yeah. fighting, fighting something to prove their worth in a way. Yeah. All right. I could see that. Well, let's keep going and see if something else kind of brings this uh, card into a little bit more of clarity. Uh, So, uh, Chris, will you introduce and describe the next card? Invisibility. Uh, It's a... Wow, the picture on here looks like a bunch of goblins with a... uh, Looks like a warrior that's been turned invisible, kind of sneaking past them. Uh, The text on the card, uh, Enchanted Creature. Enchanted Creatures can't be blocked uh, except by walls. And your flavor text. uh, Varric held his breath... Breathing wouldn't reveal his position, but it would force him to smell the goblins. I I don't want to smell goblins, so probably a good thing to do. <laughs> so, the, so the question here is, how does this card relate to the last one, if it does at all, and how do we incorporate it into what we're building here with our adventure? Maybe this is uh, another PC in the party that is trying to sneak in to see the test that his friend is going through because maybe there's somebody there that's going to change the way the test is done, making it unfair for his party member, his friend, and he's going in there to prevent that. Uh, okay, so are the goblins the ones hosting the, uh, the, the, the test? I know, you know in traditional D&D terms, goblins are not presented that way, but there's nothing to say that we couldn't change them, that goblins are powerful magicians or they have some sort of weird authority in the land that we're in, maybe they even rule and humans or other de- uh, like humanoid creatures uh, have to defer to them in some way. That could work. Or they're just hired to guard the entrance. Picture kind of makes them look you know, pretty menacing. Yeah, they do they look a little, uh, a little angry. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see a lot of like intelligence in their look, so... I would think maybe they're more just hired to guard things, guard that entrance that's in the background. Maybe that's the back door to get in. So we could have a situation um, where a member of the party or maybe a, like a favorite NPC, someone that the PCs care about, uh, is going to go be tested or trialed in some way, and the PCs are not supposed to be there, but very Harry Potterish. Uh, they've decided to break the rules, use their invisibility cloak. They want to get inside because they feel like there might be some unfairness to the test uh, against their friend or, again, favorite NPC. I could definitely see that. Yeah, works for me. 
All right, let's take a look at the next card. All right, our next card is Triplicate Spirits. It's a white sorcery card. Uh, the text is con- Convoke or Convoke. Uh, your creature, your creatures can help cast the spell. Each creature you tap while casting the spell pays for the uh, mana cost. And then you put three 1-1 one, one white spirit creature tokens with flying onto the battlefield. So uh, what I'm seeing here is uh, this uh, Convoke ability allows you to, to take energy from other creatures in order to cast a spell and bring about a summoning of some sort. So if we play around with that a little bit, um, there could be a situation where this this test or this gladiatorial combat is to find the best warrior or the best adventure or whatever the case may be uh, and maybe unbeknownst to them it's because they need a very powerful energy source to summon something uh, which probably the people involved aren't aware of you know it's one of those things where um, you know each maybe each century this happens each 10 years this happens on some sort of schedule this big almost like mortal combat type situation happens and the winner quote-unquote winner uh, is always you know, never seen or heard from again, but it's always portrayed that they, they go to a different place and they live, you know, they're given riches and treasure and whatever. But in fact, their body is being sucked drive energy to power a thing or maybe to rejuvenate the, the leader or the ruler of this world. It's like, the, you know, the, the thing can use the youthful energy to make it their own. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure I want to go with that, but that's what I'm thinking. So what, what do you see from this card, Chris? I feel almost like those little spirits could be part of the danger that the PC is going to face during the test. And maybe somehow they have that PC has to figure out how to defeat them. Just by looking at the picture, uh, the, the text, I don't know how a creature would help you cast a spell. Oh, maybe it's a, a familiar. I don't know if you can have a spirit familiar, but maybe you could have some type of spirit familiar that's helping you cast spells. Okay, it does look like um, there. It's kind of weird because if you look at the one that's on the left, it looks like there's a weird sort of mask floating above its face, and then the one that's yeah. closest to the kneeling figure has something in their hand. I think it's just the mask. It's almost like the it's revealed the mask and showing something to this the figure that's on their knee. So maybe this is almost like some sort of revealing of the truth. Uh, it's like you're asking your ancestors and they have to answer questions and something along those lines. Yeah. I think I like the idea that this is part of the test that the PC's going through. I think that would work out well. Okay. Um, so, you know, I guess thinking of it that way, it could be, and this is kind of tropey, but this is a situation where, uh, the, the, the PC or the players or whoever's actively engaged in the contest has to summon like an ancestral spirit to guide them. And if they do it correctly, they could ask a question that can help them later in the adventure. And if they don't do it correctly, then they have to like com- com- combat or fight the spirit. So it's sort of a, you know, helps you if you do it well, leads to a combat if you don't situation. Yeah, that that would be a good uh, a good little plan to do. All right. The, the only thing I'm worried about right now is this. This feels like a solo adventure which that isn't to say we couldn't run a solo adventure. But if we're going to have a, a traditional party of PCs, we need to find a way so that either everyone is involved, uh, like maybe different players are doing different parts of the the challenge. 
um, or this is just something that happens early and then we move past it uh, so that we don't focus on the same character too much. But we still got lots of cards, so things can change. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Chris, will you cover our next card? Uh, the next card is the Rune Claw Bear. It's a green card, and it just has flavor text. The magic of the elves leaves its mark on the forest. The magic of the forest leaves its mark on the animal who lives there. Uh, the animals of the forest leave their mark on all who trespass. And then the pitcher, well, that's an odd-looking pitcher. It looks like a, a bear with some sort of elemental energy running through its arms and chest. And then the face looks a little, I don't know how you would describe that face. It's almost like one of those pictures where if you look at it, you can see two different images because it almost looks yeah. like a, like almost like an Ewok face looking to the left, but it's actually the teeth are open and growling towards you. So like when I first looked at it, I thought the bear was wearing like a hooded cloak. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out too. Yeah. So it's an interesting picture. There's also some bones and bloody remains at its feet. Uh, the picture just, to me, it seems like this is just going to be a monster the PCs are going to have to face at some point. Um, the text, though, with the magic of the elves and the mark of the forest, maybe part of it is they have to solve some sort of mystery that the elves have left in the forest, and this creature would then help them versus hurt them. I'm always a fan of situations like that where a combat encounter doesn't have to be a combat encounter. Uh, where if you do things correctly, you can actually gain an ally rather than just something you have to poke with a stick till it dies. Um, but I'm I'm thinking that maybe the the way the flavor text reads, it makes me think that you know maybe this thing we've started with this this uh, combat, this trial, is to find the warriors who who can go into the forest. So you know again that would be like almost like a prologue, quick uh, cutscenes of the RPCs being the four or five or three or whatever best warriors that are then chosen to go on the quest. And the quest is to go into the land of the elves to meet with them, to fight with them, to parlay them or figure out why they, maybe they're, they're gone. You know, they haven't been seen in 20 years and people think the elves have left the world, but the elves mark is still on the forest. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I always like the whole mystery of where, where elves disappear to. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the module that Caleb and I have been working on now for like, seems like forever. That's a, one of the central mysteries is there's a, a sort of a clan of elves that have gone away, uh, and where and why they've gone is a, is a big part of what you'll find out over the course of the adventure. So I'm a big fan as well. Hmm. All right, moving on to our next card. So our next card, it's a black card. It's a creature. It's a rot feaster or Rot Fester, I think Feaster, Maggot. Uh, when Rot Feaster Maggot enters the battlefield, exile target creature card from a graveyard. You gain life equal to that card's toughness. And the uh, the text is, is it at the top of the food chain or the bottom? And the artwork, it, it's a little... Uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's it's a maggot. It's just a looks like a very big one, unless this, this picture is just zoomed in very close. Uh, you know, so, I, you know, it's... Kind of what you would think of it's a maggot, but it just it's a huge creature version of it. Uh, the uh, The idea that when it comes into play, you have to exile a target creature, and um, 
and I'm not always up on my Magic the Gathering terminology and rules, but I think exile means leave from the game rather than just put into your discard because it says you lose it from your graveyard. So I feel like that means that that card is gone, gone forever. I think so too. It's been a, been a few days since I played Magic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so that, that kind of interests me that, that uh, you know, you're basically changing out. So, uh, you know, I guess what, where I'm going here is maybe uh, this maggot is more like a parasite that's inside of another creature. And so then you ha- you could have like a two-stage battle or boss battle where you're fighting the shell, the, the humanoid or, or what, whatever creature it is. And when you quote-unquote kill it, it falls away, but then this bursts out from inside of it. And either you fight it again or the fact that that's inside there reveals something about the nature of the mystery that you're trying to solve. What do you think? Yeah, I was kind of thinking something along the same lines. Or maybe it's uh, attached itself to a major uh, character in the storyline and it's slowly uh, uh, eating its soul away. Because it says here exile, which means it would exit the game. So maybe this thing could potentially, you know, remove somebody's soul and remove them from existence altogether. So would this then be something that maybe um, the players are aware of? So it's not like a, like a hidden parasite inside there, but it's like, Oh no, Steve has this thing on him. And if we don't get it off of him in the next three days, Steve will die. Yeah. Could be that, or it could be, you know, uh, princess, you know, of the land has this and they're on this mission to prove themselves to get the cure that can remove this from her. So this could be the start of the adventure. This could be the hook that gets them going. Okay, so so somebody, whether it be the prince, the princess, the king, the emperor, whoever, somebody gets infected with this m- malady, uh, and unless they are able to cure it within a set number of days, the, that, cre- that thing or that person will die. Uh, there, there has to be some reason why they just can't send everybody so we can maybe come up with that later. But so this contest is to determine who is best suited to go into the, maybe, maybe the elves only let so many people go into their territory at a time, or there's some sort of, you know, some sort of restriction on that. So they need to find the best people to send that have the best chance of getting the cure, which is either something you find or buy or purchase in the forest. I, mm-hmm. I definitely like that. Uh, you know, again, uh, it put, I always like adventures that have a clock put on them where you can't have yeah. people who just take a five minute, you know, a, a rest every five minutes. Well, you, you only have so many days. If you rest eight hours after every battle, everyone's going to die. So you can't do that. Oh, for sure. I like putting that on there too. Cause it adds to the tension of the group as well. And I think it just gives the player something more to look at and something more to experience. All right. So, and again, unless something changes things, I, I think that is a, a good way to go. All right. So, I think the next one's your card. Yep. Yep. Uh, the next card is called the Void Snare. It's a blue card. Uh, the pitcher, but it looks almost like a minotaur being pulled back into a portal, kind of being sucked back in. And the text says, uh, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. And then the flavor text, I've tried so many variations on how to get rid of annoying things that it's hard to decide which one I like best. Hmm. So wow. 
Yeah, th- this one doesn't that's fit a good one. Yeah. seamlessly, but what, what are you thinking? How can we add this into what we're building? Well, the card text almost wants me to say maybe one of the PCs is given a magic item that they can use to return an item off a enemy, send it back to uh, either out of the game or out of the tournament or back to their homeland so they don't have it. Kind of giving the PCs a, a one way of getting rid of a big magic item that they have to face. The pitcher, I mean, that's almost, to me, it's almost like a spell that a mage has cast to just get rid of an enemy. I mean, and if maybe they're right facing a minotaur, they could get rid of it with that kind of thing. Right. That's a tough one. Yeah. It doesn't fit with what we're doing. But again, you... You know, you're free to interpret things as you as you like. So you can take any yeah. aspect of the card, the color, the picture, the sorcery, or the the flavor text, or none of it. We can just toss it to the side and say this doesn't really fit what we're doing. Um, so certainly we could have a minotaur creature, you know, classic fantasy Greek mythology sort of situation. Uh, I'm almost thinking that maybe traveling by portal is something that it is common in this world, which kind of doesn't fit with the idea of going into the elven world, unless there's something about the elven forest that doesn't let you do that. So normally this is a society that you can, you know, there's teleportation circles that are very common. You can travel from place to place, city to city, but you can't do that in the elven forest. So that then it becomes more like a flavor thing. Like why, why, you know, it explains why you can't just teleport to where you want to go. You have to travel through the elven lands uh, and maybe just give some background on why. I don't know. I'm not feeling a lot from this card. I'd be okay with just setting it aside for now. Yeah, that one's a tough one. All right, we'll just kind of set it to the side, and then uh, and then maybe we'll come back to it. Alrighty, our next card. It's uh, a black creature card. It's Typhoid Rats. Uh, the text is Death Touch. Any amount of damage that this deals to a creature is enough to destroy it. Our flavor text is Kidnappers caught in Haven Ghoul are given two choices. Languish in prison or become rat catchers. The smart ones go to the prison. Uh, the image looks sort of like a the inside of like a quaint sort of cottage, uh, but it's a lot of darkness and there's rats that are pouring in through what looks like a window, and there's one rat that's sort of larger in the on the right side of the card and it's got red beady eyes that are glowing, staring directly at the viewer. Uh, so this is pretty pretty clear. We have rats that have some sort of uh, infestation that it, you know, they're deadly. So I almost wonder, um, maybe that's how our favorite NPC got that rot grub situation. So it's, you know, they've, it's sort of like an infestation of rats that are carrying this disease. And then the disease is what we're curing. And we have to go to the elves for the cure. Uh, you know, it could be something where there's a mystery as to where these came from. Like, you know, is this something that just exists in this world that is commonplace? Or is this like a new thing? Like people don't know where this magical malady came from. And that's also part of the larger story. You know, again, it could be like an assassination attempt by, by a deadly rat. Uh, or it could just be an encounter that the PCs have to face at some point. Uh, these rats that are, you know, typically... Rats are like low-level beginning. You know, you go into the tavern basement, kill four rats, you get first level. Uh, this could be a way to kind of turn that on its head, and these rats are extremely deadly and extremely dangerous uh, when you face them. Um, I like your idea that that's what brings the infection to the, the major NPC that we're trying to save. That seems to make the most sense for them. Okay. That death touch, 
that description would be really rough to use on a PC. Any amount of damage would just kill him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we could lift that directly. It has to be some sort of, you know, artistic license. Uh, yeah. I kind of like the idea, too, that with this, you know, that could be like the beginning. And again, I'm playing, playing with the tropes here, but like our PCs are in town and someone's complaining about, you know, there's rats. Like there's there's more rats than normal. And it can seem almost like an innocuous you know offhanded remark but but that's part of the larger story is that like as they travel around more and more people are saying yeah the rats are really bad this year you know rats are getting in everything and it wouldn't be till later that they think well this must be some sort of targeted attack this is not a natural occurrence and on top of that these rats are carrying a disease or they themselves have some sort of magical malady uh so i just i like the idea of that sort of that slow burn build where it seems like you're just sort of flavoring the world with this interesting thing, and then that becomes super important to the story. Yeah, no, I like that too. I think that fits real well with what we're we're building. All right. All right, Chris, what is our next card? Uh, the next card is uh, the Torch Fiend. It's a red card. Uh, Pitcher looks like, almost like curtains on fire and a demon coming through. Uh, the card text uh, it says sacrifice torch theme to destroy a target artifact. Flavor text, uh, devils redecorate every room with fire. Maybe this is the maybe this is the big bad guy that's actually somehow managed to steal the elves, and this is the final boss, and the PCs have to face him, and everything around him and in the room is all on fire, so they have to deal with that as well. Okay. So not only do they have to deal with beating him, but they've got to deal with the environment being on fire. So we have a, a, a big ba- a big bad boss and an environmental challenge of sorts. Yep. Uh, so so, but what's the what's the the story here? So why is this devil or demon? Is it just being evil, or is there some larger plan to what's going on? Uh, why does he hate the elves? Uh, the elves are protectors of the forest. Maybe they drove him out of this world at one point, and he's just finding his way back. Uh, maybe there's an ancient tree that the elves find sacred that he is uh, lusting after the power for it, or he's trying to destroy it for some reason. Okay. So the uh, the text there about how you can destroy a target artifact, uh, you know, obviously in the, in the game you destroy this creature in addition, uh, but maybe that the elves have, have enslaved this creature for millennia or you know they they are protectors of of where it's kept inside of a jewel a gem a genie's lamp whatever um it it finally breaks free destroys the elves the fact that the elves aren't around is what allows these rats who are normally kept in check by the other animals in the forest that you know like the rune claw bears and that kind of thing they normally keep they normally kill them enough so that there's not an infestation so maybe that's the first signal that the elves are missing is they realize well all these rats have come through the forest that's weird why didn't the elves stop it like they normally do uh, our adventures eventually get to the heart of the elven forest to the their city and it's just a giant crater yeah yeah i like that so far <laughs> i think we're actually tying these together pretty well uh, hopefully hopefully in some stretch yeah. all right that actually could bring back in that Void Snare card just in like the big picture. Maybe that's how the elves originally captured the devil or demon. 
and they snared it into this object. And so that's what the PCs would ultimately have to do rather than hitting it with sticks till it's dead. They have to, they have to re ensnare it back into some sort of artifact. Yeah. They have to perform some sort of ritual taking X amount of rounds to complete. Or, you know, which again, I'm totally fine with, or it could be like a combination where it has to be like, let's say it has 500 hit points just to throw out a, a number. And unless it has less than 200, it's too powerful. So you have like this multi-stage situation where you have a ritual that has to be performed and you have to do enough damage to the creature to get its threshold below a certain level. So you don't necessarily have to kill it, but you do have to damage it while you're doing the ritual and sort of a back and forth protecting the caster or protecting the ritual as well as doing damage to it. Uh, it, it would be a difficult balance, but I could see that being a fun encounter where you, you've got these two different levers or levers and you're, you, know, you have to get them both at the same place at the same time. I like that. That might be an interesting one. All right. Our next card here is a shaman or shaman of spring. It's a green creature, elf shaman. When a shaman of spring enters the battlefield, draw a card. And then the flavor text is some shamanic, shamanic, I don't know, sex advocate the different seasons, each working to preserve nature's cycles. Uh, The image is of what appears to be like a female elven, uh, again, shaman, you know, a lot of floral uh, accoutrement onto the creature. It looks like a left arm might be in like a spring or some sort of, uh, you know, water type situation. So I'm thinking that there's a lot of backstory to our adventure so far. The, yep. the PCs are going to have to find a way to get that information. So maybe when they get to the elven crater... The only surviving member of the elves is this shaman who survived by jumping into the pool of water. So, you know, it could be as simple like they're very badly burned and they're on, they're on the edge of death, but the waters are keeping them alive. Or it could be a situation where they actually transformed themselves into like a fish. And as long as they're in fish form, they're okay. If they turn back to their elven form, whatever the devil did will immediately attack them. So it has to speak to them in this fish form or frog or whatever, some sort of animal form. But that's how they get all this information. You know, we the elves captured this demon 600 years ago and blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's like an exposition dump. Yeah. All right. What else can we do with this card? You know, maybe it's one of those situations where if the players don't pick a, a healer, maybe she can help them with some healing. She looks like she's got some sort of spring of life type thing in the picture. Um, or maybe this is just a nice area that they can rest and not have to worry about being ambushed. Maybe she offers some sort of sanctuary. Even though they're on a time crunch, they still need a place they can rest for a little while. Yeah, I mean, unless they just are terrible, (laughs) which is certainly possible. Uh, Hopefully they have time for some rest. It can almost be like a Tom Bombadil situation uh, where they're in the middle of this dangerous place, but there's this one area where they can rest freely, temporarily or you know and there's there's always the well why wasn't this elf affected by the devil or the demon you know it's a mystery that could or could not be solved necessarily yeah she could also be part of the ritual maybe they have to protect her to get her to the ritual and she has to be the final uh that's what i'm looking for the the final uh, ingredient or final key to getting the uh, ritual to be completed so then it becomes almost like an escort quest in a way. Uh, we have to keep 
uh, her or him or it alive. Uh, it needs to be at the, at the final confrontation. The, the PCs need to be able to battle the creature and get it to its threshold, but then the shaman can actually do the ritual. I, I like that as an option because you, you could have some players who really like the idea of doing this ritual and that'd be a very fun part. Or you could have a bunch of players who just want to kill things and they don't really want to, yeah. they just want to be able to roll their dice and do damage. So you could kind of use this as an either or if you have players that you think would enjoy it, then the shaman just gives them the information they need. If you have players that just want to like, you think they would enjoy a big boss battle with lots of tactics then make the shaman need to be there to perform the ritual after the PCs have done enough damage and fought the creature to a threshold that it's weak enough to affect. Could even use her as uh, maybe she maybe she appears in one of the PCs' dreams and gives them clues type thing too. Okay. And she shows up in the actual adventure later, and they have to escort her. I think there's a lot you can do with this. Um, it's just how in-depth of role-playing do your players want to get into. Right. No, uh, again, I, I, so I, always, I always like those dials that you can turn as well, that if you have a, the group, the right group that loves role-playing, then you can turn that dial all the way over and really get involved, like like a whole session of no dice. You're just role-playing out this interaction, or the other dial's like, nope, you got the information you need, carry on. Uh, yeah. I, I actually like that you mentioned, like, maybe there's a spring inside this elven, because I like the idea that the elven forest is still mysterious, that wherever our PCs come from, the Elven Forest is is some place that most most of the time you don't go. It's full of dangers and mysteries that you've not experienced before. So they come to this sort of grotto, and there's this natural spring, and it's very tranquil, and and you know it's very relaxing. And they they probably refill their water skins, and then as they drink that water, they start having these visions or they start having these dreams. That is, it's basically through that water, and the more they drink of it over time, the more solidified this these visions become uh, the more water they drink from that place yeah the water is like the mirror to the other world maybe she's not even in this world maybe she is with the elves but she's able to speak to them through the spring oh i like that a lot actually um again that's another classic trope the the water is a mirror to a different world i always always love that sort of thing all right move on all right chris what is our next card uh the next card is the selfless cathar I think I said that right. You didn't um, say it any worse than I said shaman. <laughs> the picture it looks to me like a cleric or a paladin maybe uh, kneeling down in front of an altar. And the altar has a symbol on it that looks, it's kind of like a almost completed circle with two almost like horns sticking out of the top. Uh, the card text, uh, sacrifice selfless Cathar. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. The flavor text, if I fail to offer myself, we will surely be overrun. My fate would be the same. This one, to me, if you've got a paladin or a cleric, you got to tie in somewhere where they have to sacrifice themselves for the ritual to be completed. Um, now, I know some players would love that. Other players might be upset because they don't have a choice but to you know, off their character, but I like that. I like when players are given that choice. And well, I, I think this is a good place for a dial that um, maybe if a PC sacrifices themselves willingly, then that makes something much easier. 
but they don't have to. Like there's still another yeah. way around it. It's just my, maybe more difficult and potentially could cause suffering to others. So, you know, like maybe the first time they run into the devil, we don't anticipate they, they win. They're fighting it. But if the if a player sacrifices themselves, maybe they can win right there. And if they don't, then the devil is going to go and hurt other people situation. But either, either way, I, I like the idea of, of sacrifice, but it, especially if this is like a one shot, like a con game, absolutely yeah. sign me up for sacrifice. If this is a forever campaign, I'm going to be less likely to throw my character away, you know, unless it's really important. Yeah. And this could also be um, the little altar there. Maybe that's the gate that the, the devil came through. And the PC has to basically sacrifice themselves to prevent other things from coming through. Oh, yeah, I like so that. Yeah. If uh, you, so if you don't sacrifice yourself, here comes reinforcements for the devil. Right. If you do, then the, the party has an easier time of defeating him. Uh, it could also be so, sort of similar. that This is the artifact that you're going to put the creature back into. And, it, you know, again, it has to be activated with a sacrifice or, you know, your spirit can pull the creature in much easier than you can push it. So if someone sacrifices, like, you know, basically in terms of mechanics, it has 500 hit points. Again, just throw out a number. You have to get it to 200. If you sacrifice, that automatically takes 100 hit points away. Like mechanically, it's 20% of its power you can capture as a spirit and allow your compatriots and your companions to be more successful. Uh you know, you'd have to narrate that in a way that isn't just so me- cold, you know, mechanically cold. Yeah. But I do like, you know, it would have a mechanical effect. If you sacrifice yourself on this altar, then you've just done a huge amount of, quote unquote, damage towards the creature's ability to get sucked back into the portal. Could even have it where our shaman from the last card, maybe the PC has to switch spots with them. Oh, I like that a lot. So I have to sacrifice myself, go into the realm where the devil brought her, and then you bring her out. So the PC's not dead. Maybe they have to fight stuff on the other side to help keep the reinforcements uh, held back. So if we were to do that, my, my thought would be either it would have to be done very late in the adventure so that that PC isn't out like, you know, half the con or, you know, two weeks yeah. of whatever. Or when they switch places, they get to play the shaman. So that's sort of like, okay, I sacrificed my second level character, but for the rest of the adventure, I get to be a six level character, but only till the rest of the, you know, until the completion of the adventure, not forever. And then that, that always sets up the, the next part. We have to go save our friend. We now, yeah. we now have to travel into that realm and bring them back. I like the idea of playing this game and put Caleb is, is the guy who falls in love with the, uh, the shaman. And then my character is the one that switched places. <laughs> and I get to make Caleb feel really awkward. <laughs> Which is always a good time. <laughs> all right. Uh, <clears throat> all right, moving on. Uh, we are past this. This is all of our commons, so we're now moving into uncommon territory. All right. Uh, our next card here is Brood Keeper. It's a red creature, a human shaman. Uh, whenever an aura becomes attached to Brood Keeper, put a plus two plus, or excuse me, put a two two red dragon creature token with flying onto the battlefield it also has uh red mana this creature gets plus one zero to end of turn so it's a pumpable creature uh the flavor text is come little one unfurl your wings fill your lungs and release your first fiery breath uh the artwork is of uh, a female wearing uh, a crown it looks like uh horns or or talons 
uh, her left hand is very like front and center. It's, it's glowing red and she's holding what appears to be like a dragon egg. And there's clearly a dragon on the inside about to be hatched. So this is a woman who hatches dragon eggs. Um, I don't know that this fits with what we've got so far, unless this is, this connects to the devil in some way. Like, you know, we, we go away from the dragon, but, but so now we have like a shaman on shaman action. So we have our shaman of the spring, who's the good shaman. And then we could have this quote unquote evil shaman. Um, maybe she or he or it was protecting the devil those 600 years ago. Um, just like our, our good shaman is protecting the forest. And so that's the ultimate conflict is actually between these two powerful figures, one of nature and one of fire and destruction. Uh, so they, you know, maybe, this is the ultimate big bad guy, or it could even just be like lore. We don't actually fight her or it, but throughout the adventure, we learn of their existence. And again, that could also be like a, the next continuation is we've destroyed her devil again. So now he, she, it hates us. So our further adventures involve fighting her again, he or it, uh, or maybe when we go through the other mirror world to find our friend, that's her domain. And and now we have to fight her in like part two. Yeah, I saw something a little different when it when the card came up. I saw she's kind of the tragic bad guy who thought she was bringing a dragon back. The the devil has deceived her into thinking that he's a dragon, and then she actually is the one that releases the devil. And that's part of the egg and the dragon is the devil actually comes out from within that, and maybe it even you know, kills her in the process, and we have this tragic bad guy. So would this be the original manifestation of the devil 600 years ago, or this version, this when it's released? Um, so maybe this is like the shaman's apprentice uh, who's in training and is, is more susceptible to the, uh, the wiles of this devil who's whispering into her ears for years and years type of a thing? Yeah. That's what I was trying to say, but English failed me all of a sudden. <laughs> all right. No, yeah, I definitely think I like that aspect a lot more. So is our shaman of spring still this this person now that they've learned their lesson and they're trying to correct their mistakes or did they die and they are truly the tragic villain that, you know, they died bringing about what they thought was a bounty but turned out to be destruction? Because I, cause I feel like we're wasting the tragicness of the story if we just kill them. Yeah. I was actually thinking it was a totally different shaman than the shaman of the spring. Maybe it's... And, and I think that's what I was thinking originally. I'm, just, I'm now thinking, yeah. cause is there a way we could do that and make it better or no? I don't, I don't know that we can. I'm just thinking of that. Or the shaman of the springs 600 years ago was the shaman that released it and now throughout time has been trapped in the uh, dimension with the devil and over 600 years has learned her ways and now she's trying to repent for her mistake. Okay. So, so well. That might be a little tough to weave into a story. Yeah. Though. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like cool, but the players may never know about it and they may not care if they do know. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I think maybe it, it just works better and maybe more simple that that's sort of the story that the Shaman of the Spring tells. You know, I had an apprentice. Uh, she was more susceptible. The devil whispered in her ear, and over time she she thought 
that she was actually bringing about blah 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 and and that explains how this demon got away or devil whatever sick you know it's been trapped for however many long that explains it uh and again this could also be where okay so part two we're going into the mirror world to save our friend yep. that's where she is everyone thought she yeah. was dead but then now part of that story is trying to bring her back into the world uh, so she can actually repent for her sins or, you know, she's already paid her dues, haven't been tortured for 600 years or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty, Chris, what is our next card? Uh, the next one is Jace's Ingenuity. And the picture has, uh, looks like a guy and holding his arms open and it looks like he's got some sort of uh, blue magic kind of going in between his hands. Uh, the card text says draw three cards the flavor text brute force can sometimes kick down a locked door but knowledge is a skeleton key yeah jace is one of the planeswalkers sorry yeah in, in some of the newer versions of magic you actually can have uh almost like another player on your team they're called uh planeswalkers and okay. and Jace is one of those, and and his shtick is basically drawing a lot of cards. So having more cards in your hand, more options available, type of a thing. Yeah, on this one, I the flavor text is jumping out to me more than the pitcher. I feel like using the knowledge aspect of the flavor text is something more important in this story, because um, we're really dealing with a, a lot of history and factors that are actually going into defeating this devil, I think really making the players understand that they need to learn the past and learn how to defeat it versus just kicking the door open is a much bigger aspect of this card. Uh, the pitcher, I mean, maybe that's part of the, I, maybe they have to cast a spell with the shaman. Yeah, that one's tough for me. What are you thinking on the pitcher? Nothing's jumping out to me. Well, again, just trying to sort of translate the magic card into D&D, it, it, it means you have more options. You have knowledge. Uh, so this could be a situation where if the players do a thing, part of the backstory, like they actually care enough to research and talk to the shaman of the spring and learn the history of the devil, then maybe with that foreknowledge, for they have additional abilities. They, they can uh, re-roll an attack because they know the creature's abilities or they can automatically make a saving throw because they know what's coming. Um, so you would basically, it's a way to build into the story. If you follow the lore and you actually care about the story and you learn about it, when you go into the battle, you get like three boons that you can use as a group. You know, you can reroll one attack, you can automatically make one save and you can do one other thing, blah, blah, blah. That works much better. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, again, this I've done a lot of these. Sometimes you just gotta yeah. just take the card and go in a different direction. Don't don't necessarily try to force what it's telling you. Just be inspired by it. Yeah, I'm such a, a literal fluff and flavor guy versus a mechanics guy. I never think mechanics. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't a lot necessarily, but uh, again, I think just the experience of doing this a few more times because you do mm -hmm. run into cards that just don't make sense sometimes. Okay. All right, so uh, our last uncommon is Battle Mastery. It's a white aura card. Uh, it's an enchanted creature. Enchanted creature has double strike, which means it deals damage first and uh, again in combat. The flavor text is boom, boom, boots the size of ox carts, then it acts like a falling sun. 
elves scattered, trees scattered, even the hills ran for the hills. Uh, and the, the the picture looks uh, maybe like a a giant or an ogre with a large battle axe, and they're sort of like this doubled image that's slightly larger. It has a red like rage hue uh, with, that is holding another axe. Uh, for me, I just I my first thought is this this goes very well into our previous card with the Jace's in, ingenuity that by by doing the thing. This is what you get. You deal double damage against the creature, that, that type of thing. I don't know that we need to do more than that, but we certainly can. Are you seeing anything with this card? Uh, it's funny. The picture on mine is different. So you said there's a giant ogre with a big battle axe. Ah, maybe it polymorphs the player into that giant ogre for a turn, and that gives you your mechanical bonuses. All right, almost like an enlarged spell situation. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if that fits with the flavor of the game or not. but uh, The only thing I worry about that is that that's kind of like, a, unless you're going to have the entire team polymorph, then you have this one player that has the ability to really outshine everybody in, in like the final battle. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I prefer to keep things where you have like three boons that you can share. So then it's like a group decision like, okay, Sarah, you can use the double damage this round. Uh, Ted used the save and throw last turn type of a thing. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, um, but again, this 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 card then is not adding a whole lot by itself. Um, I don't know. Anything else? For yeah. You? No, nothing's jumping out at me on that one. All right. Well, then we will just combine that with Jace's ingenuity and and say that's what that <laughs> that is part of. All right, Chris. What is our last and our rare card? Uh, it's the Battlefield Forge. Uh, it's a red card, and the pitcher uh, looks like there's. Uh, it's got two stumps. One's got an anvil on it, and the other one's got a a forge on it. And in the background, there's weapons that are sticking up. Uh, the text on it: uh, Add one to your mana pool. Uh, tap add blue or white to your mana pool. Battlefield Forge deals one damage to you. So on my card it says add uh, red or white, not blue or white. Oh, I'm sorry. You're correct. Okay. Add Red or white to your mana pool. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe part of the adventure is they have to go to an elven forge, an old elven forge, and put one of their weapons in there and enchant it. And then it's allowed to do, or it's able to do damage to the devil. Or maybe they all have to put their weapons in there. Um, otherwise, maybe the devil's immune to their normal weapons. So that could be that first battle that, that we kind of hinted at where they face it the first time and we don't expect them to win. And their weapons have no effect like you know maybe if there's a spellcaster it does something this is where they learn that maybe sacrificing could have an effect but more than but basically their weapons don't do anything and then that becomes yeah we have a short adventure like a, almost like a side quest they have to maybe they just have to reignite the forge the, the forge is still at the where the crater is but with the spirit shaman's help or the spring of the shaman they can reignite it do some sort of ritual bring it back online as it were and then, yeah, they can enchant their weapons in a way that the next time they fight the devil, they can actually do damage as normal. Maybe it's almost like a holy damage type thing. Ah, yeah. That, I think that would work very, very well. All right. Our, our last card, our, our, our land is an island. So I think there maybe maybe that's where the elves are. That they're, you know, you have to go to an island 
or maybe the maybe the whole place that you are is an island. I don't I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how that one works. <laughs> and then our token is a spirit, which again I just think that kind of fits already because we've got sacrificing, um, you know, spirits, transformations, that kind of thing. So so looking back as a whole, uh, we have a, a a land, a village, a place, a city, whatever. That there's slowly this building infestation of rats. Uh, which at first may seem innocuous, but then over a little bit of time, uh, we realize is a problem. Uh, the rats carry a disease that starts to affect the populace of where we're at, in particular, a beloved NPC, perhaps a prince or princess, king, queen, emperor sort of situation. Uh, so there is a, a sort of a contest to find the best suited adventurers. Looking back on this now, I think this would make a lot more sense for there to be, this would be like a montage scene. Because if you actually hold a contest, there's always the chance that the players won't won't be the ones chosen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it could be, you know, you three, you four, you five, you're the chosen. So let's do a quick montage of what you did, you know, what you know, be really cool in narrative and how you won your adventure and you got to be the, the one to go. Uh, so they go into what is normally the elven forest or elven lands, which they have never been to before. It's full of mystery. There could be some random encounters with elven, you know, enchanted animals. Uh, they eventually get to the Elven homeland, which is just a giant crater where they meet the Shaman of the Spring and learn the history of this devil that was in, captured, you know, however many years ago and has burst free. Uh, it was used, a void snare ensnared it into an artifact. They have to either find or rebuild or recreate the artifact. They have to reignite the forge to enchant their weapons, and then they can hunt down the devil and kill it by putting it back into a thing. Uh, there's a chance for one of them to sacrifice themselves a couple times. One in particular is to go to the mirrored world where the shaman is. Um, and then if we follow up this with like a part two, we could go into that mirrored world to try to save our friend where we also meet the broodkeeper, who is the woman or thing or person, whatever, who accidentally let the devil free and try to have like a redeeming story with them. Anything else that you would do with that story? Do you think you think that's ready to run? I'm ready to run. <laughs> so do you think, uh, is this a good D&D adventure? Is there a different, um, like, I guess, what level? Uh, that, that would be a good question. Is, do you see this as like a level one adventure? Is this, you know, f- five levels, an epic level? Where do you see it happening? Uh, I think since there's a devil involved, it's going to be a little bit higher than one. Not sure where devils rank on the D&D scale. I don't play a whole lot of it. Maybe I, probably I don't know. mid-level. I don't know off the top of my uh-huh. head. I, I think probably I would do this like maybe fifth. Uh, yeah. I, I like low-level adventures, but like you said, we're fighting devils. We we want our PCs to already be heroes because if we're going to do that montage scene where they get to be cool and everybody has their moment, that needs to make sense. Uh, and I think fifth level is right at the tipping point where fifth edition, the PCs really start to get powerful. They you know they start getting their extra attacks. Uh, they're they're well into their you know subclass situation. So if I wasn't going to do this as a first level, which I, I I could find a way to make that work, I think I would go with fifth level. Cool. Well, did you have fun with your first synergy session? Oh yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, anyone listening, um, if you run an adventure based on these cards, please let us know uh, how it goes. If you would have used those cards differently than we did, if you thought of a different way that they could have been incorporated, please let us know that as well with the comments below. Or you can find us online uh, at therpgacademy.com and, of course, on Twitter at the RPG Academy. 
Uh, and as always, uh, we look forward to hearing what you have done with these cards or what would you've done differently. Uh, Chris, again, thank you for joining me today. And where can people find you, Chris, if they want to get in touch with you on the internets? Uh, easiest way is to hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Burlew underscore Chris. That's B-U-R-L-E-W underscore Chris. All right, fantastic. And uh, thanks once again. And for everyone else, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the Drive-Thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.